Please go ahead, um, grab a Bible. We're in Proverbs for one last time. Not forever, just this year. I'm sure we'll come back to it at some point. This morning, we're thinking about our words. We're thinking about our speech. Um, let me just pray for us uh, as we come before God's Word together. Father, we recognize that your law, your word is perfect. Would you revive our souls in this moment? Father, we come before you whose testimony is sure. Would you make us wise? Whose word is right? Would you rejoice our hearts? Whose commandments are pure? Would you enlighten our eyes? Help us to fear you in this moment, Father. Help us to be reminded that your rules are true and righteous altogether. That you would help us to desire them more than gold, even much fine gold, to recognize that your words and obeying them and trusting them is sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Father, help us to keep your word, recognizing that when we do that, there is great reward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It's a catchy phrase, one we're all familiar with, but it's just not true, is it? Words can hurt. Words matter. Therefore, we need lots of wisdom when it comes to our words, and Proverbs has lots of wisdom when it comes to words. Wisdom we desperately need. A a quantity of wisdom which speaks to the significance of our speech. We speak thousands of words every day, and just one word can have a significant impact either for good or for bad. Our speech also takes place in a context. takes place in a context of conversation, of relationship, of workplace, of friendship, of marriage, of neighbors, of church. Therefore, we have to learn to speak wisely for for the sake of those relationships and those communities. And What we say and how we say it is also a significant aspect of our witness. Colossians 4 speaks to that. God cares about what we say, whether we're Christian or not. The Bible tells us that we will be held accountable for every careless word that we speak. So we come to God's Word, we come to God Himself this morning to seek wisdom, to gain the wisdom that we need that only He can give us to come to the gospel, which only these things can ultimately help us to cultivate gracious, wise words and offers us forgiveness and hope for when we mess up with what we say. Here's the simple big thing that we are to take away from Proverbs this morning. Words are powerful, so speak wisely. Words are powerful, so make sure we speak wisely. It's the first thing we see together. My words are powerful. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Words are powerful. We know that because we worship a God who spoke the world into existence. God reveals himself in speech, in words. Jesus is the Word made flesh. God changes us by his Spirit through his words. Words are powerful. 
Being made in the image of God, part of being made in the image of God means that we too, therefore, speak and that our words matter, that our words are significant, that our words also do things, change things for good or for bad. A small word or note of encouragement can bring hope to a despairing soul. In just a few words, a married couple can destroy their dinner date. An ungracious email sent to a colleague can significantly sour the dynamics of the workplace. A simple I love you from a parent to their child can bring a great sense of security and comfort. Just one confidential detail shared through gossip can bring significant division in a friendship, in family, and in the church. Our words are powerful. Our words can start fires. Proverbs 16, 27, a worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. We see this in the book of James as well, don't we? The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Your and my tongue can start forest fires. In one word, in one sentence, Proverbs tells us that one of the reasons that our words can be so powerful is because we can be extremely persuasive through our words. Words are persuasive. They can be persuasive in a bad sense. Proverbs 7.21 speaks of the, the, the adulterous woman. With much seductive speech, she persuades him, and with her smooth talk, she compels him. Words can be persuasive for bad. We saw that in the Garden of Eden. Satan was persuasive. He lied. He cast doubt on God's words. Words can also be persuasive for good. Proverbs 16.23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. And what verse 21 uh, tells us is that our words also have consequences. Those who love words reap the fruit of that. Those who talk will reap the consequences of what they sow with their words, either for good or for bad. So be warned this morning. We've been saying this a lot in Proverbs. Proverbs, one of the most helpful things Proverbs does is paints the picture of what will happen if we pursue a certain attitude or behavior or action. Okay, we sometimes speak, don't we, about just getting something off of our chest. Getting something off of our chest verbally. And of course, it's good to pour our hearts out to God and to be transparent with certain things to close friends or people within the church. But so often we speak to get things off our chest, but we don't think about what those words are going to do once they're off our chest. We need to think about what our words will do. And Proverbs tells us, Proverbs warns us that we and those around us will reap the consequences of our words. Our words are not like the steam that comes from your kettle when it's boiled. They don't just disappear into the ether. They are heard. They land. They make a mark. They matter. Therefore, we must grow in wise speech and be warned against foolish speech. That's where we're going to spend most of our time, thinking about what foolish speech looks like in order to be warned about it and then see how we can cultivate wise speech. So, my words are powerful. Secondly, when I speak foolishly, I tear down. Proverbs 11, verse 9. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. Foolish speech does things 
and it destroys things. It tears down. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but foolish words will destroy me. What does foolish speech look like in order for us to identify it and therefore to avoid it? Well, there's a number of different ways that foolish speech manifests. Firstly, foolish speech is false speech. Proverbs 19.9, a, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will, will perish. So one type of foolish speech is lies, false speech. There's a sense in which we know falseness and lies is inherently bad. We have God's moral law written onto our hearts. Romans 2 tells us that every human created in the image of God has God's moral law impressed upon their conscience and their hearts. We know that lying is wrong by nature. And we see it in the Ten Commandments. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's why we resonate with injustice, the injustice and the damage that lies does in our relationships and in our world and in our, in our communities. We hear of false witness or false testimony or of lies and the damage it does, and that makes us recoil, and it should. It also makes God recoil. 12.22, Proverbs 12.22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. He does not take lies lightly, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Lies do not go unpunished. That's what 19 verse 9 tells us. Those who continue to lie unrepentantly will perish. God will do something about lies. He won't let it go on without being checked. So simple. Don't lie. Don't lie. Don't bear false witness don't bear false witness for the sake of greed or for gain, for sinful pleasure. Maybe we lie or hide something because of the fear of the consequences of confessing it. Here's what we need to do when we're tempted to do that. We need to fear the Lord more than we fear the consequences. We need to fear the Lord and lies more than we fear the consequences of confessing the truth. But here's the good news of the gospel. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us in Jesus. The consequences of confession and repentance are so much less than if we were to hold on to those lies before the Lord in Judgment Day. And one form of falseness that Proverbs speaks a lot to is flattery. Proverbs 29 verse 5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net, net for his feet. There's kind of two types of flattery. There's deceptive flattery. There's intentional deceptive flattery where, where we manipulate someone to gain something from them. We might trick someone into doing something for us for personal gain. There's also the kind of flattery that's kind of like cowardly flattery. We're too scared to speak honest, gracious truth to those around us, so we just paper over the cracks of their lives. We flatter them. We don't speak the truth and love to them. Let's not do that. Foolish speech is false. Foolish speech is rash. We thought about this with anger um, last week. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Rash speech is foolish. It can cut, it can pierce, it can leave someone feeling weak and wounded. We can cause so much spiritual, emotional, and even physical damage through our words. When we speak rashly, we do it without thinking, without the filter of wisdom. 
Often angry words are rash. And we'll see in a moment that the antidote to rash words is restraint and a renewed heart. Foolish words are also slanderous or gossiping words. Again, Proverbs speaks numerous times to this. Proverbs 20 verse 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. I'm just going to camp here for a moment. Because this type of foolish speech is probably one of the most prevalent and damaging forms of speech in our daily lives and maybe even within the church. Jerry Bridges, in his really helpful book, Respectable Sins, defines gossip this way. He says the spreading of, he defines gossip as the spreading of unfavorable or sensitive information about someone else, even if that information is true. The spreading of unfavorable or sensitive information about someone else, even if that information is true. And at best, uh, doing that is careless. At best, it's careless. At worst, it's intentionally destructive. Slander and gossip are kind of very closely related. Slander is making a false statement or misrepresentation of someone to do them reputational harm. The reason that gossip is often so prevalent is because it's easily disguised. Gossip is so easily described, it so easily camouflages itself as other things. That's why we so often see it go unnoticed. Uh, Biblical counselor Jeremy Pierre says this, gossip looks really good in church clothes, maybe more than any other sin. It cleans up nice. It can present itself in a number of Sunday outfits. It can dress up like heartfelt concern for others. It can seem like a personal invitation to confidentiality and closeness with the one receiving the gossip. It can even put on the clothing of a prayer request. Why do we gossip? Why do we slander? A number of reasons, maybe. The thrill of being in the know. We just want to know what's going on. We're not content to not know. The desire to destroy someone's reputation, that's on the malicious end. The desire to feel good about ourselves in light of someone else's downfall or struggle or distress. The desire to make someone like us because we've given them a piece of information that no one else has. There's a place for sharing our concern, right? For the sake of edification, maybe perhaps you notice a a fellow church member or friend or family member who isn't behaving like they normally do, whose demeanor is drastically changed, and out of concern, you say to someone, hey, did you notice that they're not themselves? With a desire to help them, and maybe you take that to an our church member or to a leader and say, hey, I'm concerned about this person. There's a place for those kind of conversations. Even then, they should be sensitive and discreet. Yet more often, we share sensitive information purely for the sake of juicy conversation. Here's a helpful question to ask when we are not sure about whether what we're about to say is helpful or not. Will what I'm about to say tear down or build up the person I'm about to talk about? Will it tear them down or build them up? Did that person confide that in me? Was there an understanding that it was sensitive? Of what benefit will it be to the person I'm going to share it with? Do they really need to know that? Or do you just want to tell them because it's a nice thing to talk about? 
gives you something to talk about. What am I going to positively accomplish by saying this, or is it just itching a scratch? Consequences of gossip and slander, it separates close friends. It creates conflict. It breaks trust. It creates a culture where people don't feel they can be transparent. The kind of culture we long to cultivate in this church. If we gossip and slander, we will kill that. And gossiping to someone puts them in a difficult spot. Now they know something that they probably don't need to know or shouldn't know. And it sets a bad example to them. So, don't gossip or slander. If you have, repent before the Lord and repent to the one you have gossiped about. If you have been slandered and gossiped about, you are the innocent party, the wrong party. Sometimes perhaps there's an occasion to overlook. There's also the place for going and telling the person who's gossiped about you their fault. We see that in Matthew 18. Go and graciously tell them their fault. Cultivate a heart posture of forgiveness towards them. We all mess up with our words, right? Don't associate with a gossiper. 2019 tells us that. Do not associate with a simpler babbler, simple babbler. Don't confide in a gossiper. If someone has a track record of blurting things out, don't confide in them. It will cause you pain. Maybe to say this as well, we need to be willing to graciously call one another out on this. We need to be brave enough to stop one another mid-conversation and mid-sentence and say, I'm not sure this is helpful. I'm not sure I need to know this. I'm not sure that person would want you to be telling me this. And if we are that person, we need to not get offended, but to step back and go, okay, maybe I'm wrong here. We need to examine what we've just said. My words are powerful. When I speak foolishly, I tear down. Thirdly, when I speak wisely, I build up. Our words can do much damage, but they can also do much good, okay? Our words can do much good when we use them wisely. Two kind of main categories to um, put wise words into. They are restrained and they are righteous. Wise words are restrained and they are righteous. 1019 captures that idea of being restrained in our speech. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. I feel that every Sunday afternoon. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lip is prudent. Verses telling us, the more we speak, the more likely we are to get ourselves into trouble. The more we speak, the more likely we are to get ourselves into trouble. A a wise person is restrained in their speech. Part of restrained speech is that we are quick to listen and slow to answer. Proverbs 18, verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. How often we do that, don't we? We hear something, we hear someone speak to us, and we just jump in. We must be slow to speak and quick to listen. The old phrase, two, you've got two ears, one mouth, use them accordingly. There's some wisdom in that, right? We must, must not rush towards judgment. We must, must not be, we must be slow to offer our opinion. And that's, not, that's an excuse to be indecisive or silent. There's time to speak. Decisions need to be made. It's just warning us, don't skip the listening part. Don't skip the part where you ponder how to answer. 
And part of good listening involves asking good questions. Sometimes we hear someone, but we haven't really heard them. Ask good questions. Hey, is this what you meant by that? Can you clarify that for me? Am I hearing you right? So we listen, we ask questions, and then we speak, but we speak little. It's another mark of restrained speech. It's quick to listen, it's slow to answer, and when it does answer, it doesn't say too much. Proverbs 17, 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Wise people don't talk a lot. It's kind of a counter cultural thing in many ways. We think sometimes the wisest people are the people who always have an answer, who always know what to say in in a certain circumstance. Actually, Proverbs would point us towards the person who speaks less as the one who is more considerate and wise in their language. They have, as that verse says, a cool spirit. We'll see this again and again in our speech. Our speech flows from our heart. The wise person is restrained because they have a a cool spirit. They're not hot-tempered. They're not quick to give their opinion. Those are the kind of people we should listen to. I always remember my mom and dad talking about an older gentleman in the Bible study in the church I grew up in. He's now with the Lord. Um, But he used to speak maybe once or twice the whole night. But when he did, they said it was the most insightful comments the whole evening, and everyone listened. Wise person restrains their words. Restrained speech is also marked by those who don't reveal. We've just thought about that. 11.13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. A person who is restrained doesn't need to reveal secrets. They're trustworthy. Again, we see that that's a heart thing. A heart that's content and loving and gracious and patient, patient will be restrained. Restrained speech also doesn't repeat. Proverbs 17, verse 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Restrained, wise speech doesn't dig up old offenses. Either the ones we've chosen to overlook or ones where there has been confession, repentance, and reconciliation. Wise speech doesn't pick old scabs. Wise speech chooses love rather than bitterness and leaves a past matter buried in the ground and in the hands of God. If not, the warning in this verse is that it will create relational conflict and strife and cause pain. Again, there's forgiveness for all of these things, but we must strive to be more wise in our speech. Restrained speech also avoids rouse. Here's a good proverb, Proverbs 26, verse 17. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ear. I'm not sure if anyone here has ever tried that or done that. I can imagine if you have, it didn't end well. Don't get involved in other people's disputes. Don't get involved in other people's business. Unless it's for the purpose of reconciliation and seeking to helpfully bring about peace, but General rule of thumb, don't get involved in other people's disputes and quarrels. If you do, you will get bitten. I can imagine that's what will probably happen if you pull the dog's ear. 
You'll get bitten. You'll get mauled. You'll not come out without a scratch. Why speech is restrained? That's what those things we've thought about are. Why speech is also righteous? Righteous speech is truthful, Proverbs 12, 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So this is the opposite of falseness. Unwise speech speaks lies. Wise speech tells the truth. Truth lasts. Truth lasts, and so does the one who speaks it. Truthful lips endure forever. Lies doesn't last, nor does the one who spends their life speaking it. So we're to speak the truth. Yes, we're to do that in love and with grace and not gossip. We are to speak the truth. We are to speak according to God's truth as He's revealed it. Sometimes that might involve saying hard things, holding to hard truths in our culture. But listen, the truth endures. The truth endures. Lies doesn't. Righteous speech is also knowledgeable. It's not flippant opinion. It's knowledgeable. Proverbs 15 verse 7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart of fools. What are you spreading? What is your speech spreading? Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So, in contrast to the uninformed, rash, unwise personal opinion, the wise person speaks knowledge, knowledge of God and of his world as he's revealed it, his wisdom, his will, his ways. To get that knowledge, we have to to, to, to speak with knowledge, we have to get it into our hearts, don't we? It doesn't just appear out of nowhere. This verse encourages us to spend more time growing in our knowledge than expressing our opinion. Where are you at in that balance? We need to spend more time growing in our knowledge rather than expressing our opinion. And Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 reflects that urgency and primacy of gaining the knowledge of God. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. It's the first thing he prays for them. Righteous speech is knowledgeable speech. Righteous speech is also good news. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. We thought about that last week. Proverbs 15, 30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Righteous speech brings good news, not good advice, positive thinking, fortune cookie type wisdom, or even leading with our experience or the experience of others. It brings good news. It brings gospel hope. It brings the character of God to bear on our circumstances. It brings the assurance of His promises to bear on our circumstances. We need that good news because it's only the gospel that can change our hearts and our lives. It's only the gospel that can provide hope in the midst of the circumstances we face. So we need to bring good news, good news of forgiveness, good news of hope, good news of assurance, and keep applying that to our hearts and to one another's lives. Righteous speech also rebukes. 
Righteous speech also rebukes. Proverbs 27, 5 to 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So restraint does not equal cowardly silence. We're called to rebuke one another for the sake of redeeming one another, for the sake of pulling one another back onto our path with Christ. And the context that that should take place in, of course, is friendship, which we thought about. This means that sometimes we will need to gently correct one another when our conduct isn't Christ-like. That, according to this Proverbs, is a loving thing to do. Those are hard conversations. We should both be willing to speak that way and to receive that for the sake of our walk with the Lord. Proverbs 28, 23 tells us that though rebuking may be hard, it might cause that gnaw in our stomach. I know I should say this, Here's why it's worth it, Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Flattery is easy. It's easy to say what those around us want to hear. It's easy to be someone who just invites people around us who only say what we want to hear. The wise person rebukes and receives rebuke, and on the far side of that, there's favor. Righteous speech also defends others' rights. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Proverbs, God's word, calls us to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. It's a big part of righteous speech. We speak up for the unborn in the nation that would have them murdered through abortion. We speak up for the vulnerable who would be endangered by euthanasia laws. We speak up for the abused, the sojourner, the refugee, those who are being oppressed into poverty, those who are experiencing injustice. We speak up for young people, particularly as they are being exploited and deceived into thinking that their created sex and God's design for sexuality are not good gifts to be embraced with gratitude and worship. We can do that day to day as we speak to our family members, our friends, our neighbors, in our workplaces. I get that's hard. I get that takes courage. The first way we can do that is speaking about it in everyday life, but we can also do it more formally by engaging with local or national government through various means. So we are called to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. It's a big part of righteous speech. Now Proverbs speaks to how we do that the manner, two things, gentleness and graciousness. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We are to be gentle and in our speech. Galatians 1 talks about how when we correct one another, we're to do it with gentleness. We're to do it like a nursing mother. Even in when it comes to those who are against us or our opponents, Second Timothy would say that even our opponents should be corrected with gentleness. A harsh word rarely wins someone over. A gentle word does. 
Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Look at how life-giving and sweet and gracious these words can be. Our words can be gracious and gentle. They can do so much good. They can bring so much life into people's lives. They can bring hope. Reminds us that the tone of what we say is just as important as the content of our speech. We can say perfectly true things. We can say perfectly right things, but completely muddy the message through how we say it. Again, both of those characteristics, both of those mannerisms come from a heart that grasps the gentleness and the graciousness of the gospel, of how we've been treated. Righteous speech is also timely. Here's the one that really requires wisdom. Proverbs 15, 23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. So there's not just saying the right thing. There's not just saying the right thing in the right way. They're saying the right thing in the right way at just the right time. Requires much wisdom. We're much more likely to do that, aren't we? If we are restrained, if we listen, if we ponder how to answer. Proverbs also gives us a couple of examples of when timing is bad, okay? Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing, okay? No one to be quiet. Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Must be careful in how we counsel those who are grieving. One prayer that I often use personally is a prayer J.C. Ryle has for ministers, and he says this, Lord, I pray that I would have wisdom to take the right step, to do the right thing, in the right way, at the right time. Pray for that wisdom. It's hard to know sometimes when to speak, when not to speak. Pray for wisdom. My words are powerful. When I speak foolishly, I tear down. When I speak wisely, I build up. It's a battle that is fought in my heart. Proverbs 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. So the heart is the driving force behind everything that we say. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil. And we see this in the New Testament, Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you say, what I say, reflects what's going on in here. Reveals what we love, what we treasure. It's a battle, therefore, our speech, wise speech, foolish speech, is a battle which happens on the front line of our hearts. And it's a battle that matters, as we thought about at the beginning. We will be held accountable for every careless word. It's a battle we must fight. It's a battle we must take seriously. We need forgiveness for our sinful desires and speech, and we need help to have new desires so that we can speak righteously. We can't change our own hearts. We need God to do it for us. Jesus died for our sinful speech. He was put to death by false witnesses. 1 Peter 2 tells us when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He restrained himself in his speech. When he suffered, he did not threaten. 
but continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. So if we want to be wise in our speech, we need Jesus to change our hearts and he firstly needs to die for our sinful speech. He's done that for us. All the stupid things we've said, all the stupid things we continue to say, Jesus died to forgive those, to make amends for those. So turn to him in repentance and forgiveness, not just for our sinful speech, but for our sin. Trust in his perfect speech for us. And it doesn't end there. He not only takes the punishment for our sinful speech, he gives us a new heart with new desires, enabling us to speak wisely. We need those new desires. We can't make our mouth say what we want it to say. We need new hearts. We need changed hearts. Tim Chester says this, the essence of holiness is not new behavior, activity, or discipline. Holiness is new affections, new desires, new motives that lead to new behavior. So we can do things like count to ten when someone when we are tempted to say something rash, it's not that that's unhelpful, but if we really want to cultivate wise speech, we must have new affections and new desires. We will be wiser with our lips when we look to Jesus, when we grasp how much He loves us, and when we grow in our love for Him and for others. That's what will keep our lips wise. We won't be rash towards someone. We won't gossip about someone. We won't lie about something when we love the Lord and we love others. We look to Jesus. He spoke perfectly. He is God's ultimate word to us. So if we want to learn to be wise in our speech, we must listen to him and be transformed. We must echo Peter's statement, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's going to gather around the Lord's table. It's going to read some verses from Isaiah 53 as we do that, and then we'll spend a moment or two just in a personal kind of prayer and reflection. Let me just read these verses from Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressions, for the transgressors. Jesus succeeded where we have failed. And in his grace, he takes our sin upon him. He is numbered amongst us in order to intercede for us. That's the good news of this table. Let's just spend a moment in personal prayer and reflection, examining our own hearts with regards to our speech over this last week.
to consider if we need to come before the Lord or some, come before someone else within this church body or in our families or in our communities. Maybe this time of personal reflection will press you to pursue reconciliation. That's one of the purposes of the Lord's table, by the way. It's a regular prompt in the life of the church towards reconciliation where it needs to happen. So let's prayerfully reflect. But we don't sit in our sin in despair. The table also reminds us we can go to Jesus for forgiveness. So let's do that also. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Father, please forgive us for our foolish speech. Please reveal it to us. So often we are carelessly unaware of what we've said. Help us to be those who are restrained in speech, but help us to run to Jesus for forgiveness, the one who never sinned in a speech. Thank you for his grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.